Psalm 144, if you're there, say amen. The Bible says in verse number 11, Psalm 144, Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children. That's a pretty interesting verse, isn't it? See some of those strange children on the news lately, don't you? It says, Whose mouth speaketh vanity, meaning they, they don't even know what they're talking about. And their right hand is the hand of falsehood, meaning that they're total liars. Everything they do is based on anything but the truth. And then it says, verse number 12, that our sons, by the way, there's a division there. There's that crowd and there's our crowd. That our sons may be as plants grown up when? In their youth. And that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. Verse number 12 talks about our sons and our daughters. Our sons and our daughters. I want to tell you, church, and this is my heart, if we raise our children in church, we raise our children in Sunday school and doing junior church, and they turn out just like that crowd, then what are we even doing? What are we even doing? There's no, I mean, I can imagine, I mean, can you imagine, you look at these Antifa people, and by the way, the, a lot of these Antifa people have connections in Portland, Oregon. A lot of these Antifa people are like 17-year-old girls running around throwing bricks through windows. And they have to get real close to the window because they can't throw it very far. And they're, just, they're these warped people, just warped people. They're not even, they're just insane. And to think that our kids would eventually grow up to be that, right. it's not right. right. It's not how it should be. I don't think that's how God designed it. No. And so tonight I want to speak to you, we'll do a two-part series on this, on the theology of boys. And this week will be the theology of boys, and next week will be the theology of girls. And I want to say we live in a weird society now that uh, they're actually trying to redefine everything. Yeah. They're trying to even redefine what gender is yeah. today. Right. We'll speak about that here in a minute. But the theology of boys is what we'll talk about tonight. And I want to pray before we get into this and ask God to help us and um, pray for me that I would say the right things the right way because this is a topic I'm very emotional and very, very, very passionate about. Amen. And so I want to... Ask God for his wisdom. Let's I want to just start out real quick by saying that I believe that there's a lot of wars in the culture going on now. But one of the wars that is actually happening today is a war on boys. There's a war on boys. When I was a little boy, you were not, it was looked down upon if you wore pink. Now all these flamboyant preachers are getting up wiggling every week with pink shirts in front of everybody and everything's, everything's just cool with that. Something's weird with that. Something's weird with that. I'm not old. I'm not even 40 yet. Somebody say amen. I'm not old. Amen. But a lot's changed in my life. A lot has changed in my life. And now they're coming out with Barbie dolls for boys and... Weird stuff's going on. And by the way, the same thing's happening to girls. They're they're making all these girls act like boys. And it shouldn't be that way. I want to say that there, there's a war on boys in three areas today in society. First of all, I want to say that there's a war on boys really on a biological level right now. 
I printed out some articles. I've known this for some time, but I printed out some articles just to prove my point. Um, and I think that there is a, on a biological level, there's a war on boys and young men. And I have two articles here. One is called, from the Huff Post, The Mystery of Declining Testosterone in American Males. And then this article right here is called, You're Not the Man Your Father Was. And medical journals have been dealing with this for a very long time. I don't know if you pay attention to that kind of stuff, but they're saying right now that my generation has 50% less testosterone in their system than the World War II generation had. Now, I remember my granddaddy, and I, I noticed he was a man. He, he turned wrenches for a living, and if anybody called him a liar, that was fighting words. They'd fight over that. They'd kill each other over that. How dare you question my integrity? And they'd drive up in your front yard and fight you. They would. Right. And you know it's true. Amen. But nowadays, everybody's just these Pee Wee Herman hermaphrodite type things. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Let's have a dialogue. See where I offended you. And we've gone from Hulk Hogan to Pee Wee Herman real quick. Yes. We have. Right. And I think there's something wrong. And all these medical doctors are writing articles saying, you know, there's something wrong with these boys. And a lot of them are pointing to the McDonald's that they're eating. There's chemicals in the plastic water bottles designed to lower the testosterone levels in the human body and that kind of stuff. And so now, you know, now we're not aggressive males anymore. Not only biologically, I believe socially there is pressure on boys today to not be boys. Um, I want to say that really we have a society that's anti-God. They're pressuring these boys to be anything but what God has made them to be. Um, Dan Woodward and, uh, and Brother Tim Booth, the men who run the football camp that I go to every year, they had the privilege and opportunity to go out to Kansas and meet with the Kansas State head football coach. Y'all know who that is. He's an he's older man with gray hair there. I forget his name. But they got to meet with him in his office, and they were talking to him about the football camp and, and what they were trying to do there, and they were discussing new rules with, with concussion protocol and that kind of stuff. And they asked him point blank, they said, Sir, what, what is the deal with all these new regulations on football he says oh it has nothing to do and this is a division one college football coach he said it has nothing to do with football or even with player safety it has everything to do with these colleges are trying to rid society of the aggressive alpha male that's why that's, i mean i don't know if you preacher you you back me up on this i need your help back me up this crowd is really cold tonight <laughs> The football of the Terry Bradshaw era is not the football of today. No. These guys, you can't hit each other anymore. No. Used to be you could, if you were a defensive end, you could run around the edge, you could murder that quarterback. <laughs> now they throw a little yank, a little hanky at you if you do stuff like that. And uh, that's not good at all. So socially and societally we're doing that. They're, they're pressuring boys to be something other than they're not. And then also I would say even spiritually, there's a war on boys today because a lot of these liberal neo-evangelical churches are redefining manhood into something other than what it is. And what they're doing is they're emphasizing the love and grace of Jesus Christ, but they forget to preach entire messages that Jesus Christ preached. And can I tell you today, the Lord Jesus Christ was a man. And He stood and He had grace with people with tears in His eyes. 
He dealt with sinners. He dealt with lepers with tears and he loved them. But then he looked at a certain other crowd and says, you're a generation of vipers. How shall you escape the damnation of hell? That's Jesus. Amen. And I can imagine some Pharisee, some neo-evangelical Hillsong preacher hearing that sermon out of the book of Matthew and saying, Jesus isn't being very Christ-like right now. He's not loving. But that's where we are. That's where we are. I want to give you this just four points today, and I'll give you this, and we'll be done. First of all, I want to give you what I would call the problem with the theology of boys. The problem with the theology of boys is that the word boy or boys is only found three times in the Bible. And so really, there is no theology of boys in the Bible. But what you do find is you find words like child, man-child, young man, and man. You find child, man-child, young man, and man. And you don't, in the Bible, you don't find words like juvenile. You don't find words like adolescent, minor. And even the word teenager is not in the Bible. It's not there. And so what you have is that the Bible says there's a child, and I, I like that phrase, man-child. That's what it called the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a man-child. And when we had our boys, I said, the man-child is here. Praise God. You have a child, and then you have a man. There is no such thing as this in-between thing. Now, there is either, and, and that's what teenage boys need to hear today. Either you're a child or you're a man. Which one are you? And that's the problem with the theology of boys is that we try to create something that God said doesn't even exist. They are either children or they are men. And not only the problem of the theology of boys, but the purpose of boys is so that you can take them and make them into men. That's what the goal is. And the goal today has been lost. And so if we're not taking these man-childs and making them men, then we are not doing what God gave us to do with these boys. That's not what we're doing at all. Amen. And so the problem, the purpose, but let me say also number three real fast. Go to the book of Proverbs, if you will. Proverbs chapter six. Excuse me, Proverbs chapter four. There's the problem of the purpose. And then thirdly, let me give you this, the pitfalls of boys. Can I tell you that like, just like going through a minefield, there are pitfalls that are awaiting these young men that if these things are not corrected and taught and built up in their lives, then they will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. I'm going to give you the first pitfall of a young man is a young man that won't hear instruction. A young man that won't hear instruction Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10 says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. Did you hear that right there? Did you catch that? Hear, O my son, and receive my saying, and the years of thy life shall be many. He says, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her for she is thy life, that they won't hear. And the truth is today, a lot of young men today won't hear, but there's also another large crowd that has not even heard to begin with. Can I tell you that dads ought to sit down with their sons and have talks. Saying, son, I want to to warn you about something. Listen to me for a moment. Listen, I want to warn you about this. And and have these, what they call dad talks. Every now and then my dad would pull me to the side. He says, son, I want to I I show you something. You did this, and here's why you don't want to do that. 
I remember my dad sitting me down with a knife and saying, son, let me show you something. This is a knife. And when you cut with a knife and you cut a piece of stick or something, you don't cut towards you. You cut away from you. Right. And you'd be surprised if I handed a knife today to a little boy, nine, ten years old. A lot of them cut their whole head off, you know. I mean, they're just, just incompetent little things. And you know why? You know why? It's because they don't have somebody saying, hey, let me show you how to do this. We have boys today that they've never been taught how to change a tire. Some of them don't even know how to change a light bulb. And I think a lot of there are boys out there who won't hear, but I think there's a lot of boys out there who haven't heard. As a dad, I want to be one that says to this, take hold of instruction, verse 13. Let her not go keep her, for she is thy life. And I want to tell you today that a young man will succeed in life if a young man will learn to listen in life. You ever tried to give advice to somebody and they're like, yeah, yeah, but, but, and then they, it's like it just bounces right off of them. You ever been around somebody like that? I've been around a lot of those guys. Know-it-alls is what I call them. And you can tell them, say, no, that's not going to work. That is not going to work. That is not going to work. And uh, they don't listen. I remember one quick little personal story. Is everybody okay today? I'm, I don't have any confidence right here in this pulpit right now. Y'all are not helping me. I, I remember um, one time when I was a little boy, there was a bicycle that I wanted at Sears. That was back when Sears was actually a thing and actually a legitimate company. And I, now it's just a place that people go and buy meth. Amen. That's all it is now. If you can even find one. And... Uh, I went to Sears, and there was a bicycle that, that was there, and I saw this bicycle many times, and we finally got that bicycle for Christmas. Santa Claus was so good to me that year to bring me that bicycle, amen. And I had seen that bicycle so many times, I took that bicycle to the garage, and I said, I'm going to put it together myself, and I've seen it so many times, I don't need the instructions. And my daddy is an auto mechanic. He came down there, poked his head in the garage, and said, what you doing? And he saw me wrestling with a bicycle. He said, son, there's instructions in that box. Won't you use those instructions? I said, no, I don't need them. I've done seen it too many times. I know how it works. He goes, okay. <laughs> Started laughing and left the room. Three hours later, he came back, and I had broken two or three pieces of that bicycle, and I was mad and angry and frustrated with everything. And he said, well, why don't you, why don't you open up those instructions, and uh, those instructions will help you. And I finally submitted to that, and I wonder, you know, I wasted three hours of my life being a knothead. Because I wouldn't listen. The greatest thing a young man can do is to give his heart to an older man and say, teach me life. Teach me how life works. Truth is, a lot of these young men, they get off in their teenage years and they think they know everything. And then they get off in college and get a flat tire. And then they find their mom and daddy's phone number real quick. Yeah. Amen. Pitfalls of young men is that they won't hear. Another pitfall of Young men is what I would call wicked ways, wicked ways. Verse 14 says this, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away, unless they call some to fall. And he says, For they eat the bread of wickedness, and drink the wine of violence, but the path of the just. So there's the path of the wicked, verse 14. In verse number 18, there's the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And the way of the wicked is a darkness they know not at what they stumble. And so wicked ways, can I tell you that the choices you make in life are very important, but also the choices of the people that you hang around with are even more important. You have to be around, if you're around wicked people, you'll be in a wicked way very soon. Not only that, let me say this, go to chapter number five. 
We see these themes over and over again. Verse number one, he says, My son, attend to my wisdom and bow thine ear unto understanding. Not only those that won't hear, wicked, there's those that won't hear, those, those who are in wicked ways, but then there's also those who pitfalls of young men that fall with wicked women. Verse number three, for the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And notice the language of the Bible. You think some preachers preach hard. The hardest preaching in the world is the Bible. It says in verse number five, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou should ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children. And depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thy honor unto others, and thine ears unto the cruel. In verse number 11, And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction in my heart, despised reproof. Let me give you another understanding of that. He said, I wish I would have listened. I wish I would have listened. There's wicked women. And then lastly, the last pitfall of young men, go to chapter number six and verse number six. Those that won't hear, those that have wicked ways, those that mess with wicked women. And then the fourth pitfall of young men is those who won't work. Right. Verse number six says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which have no guide, overseer or ruler. Provide her meat in the summer and gather her fruit in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When thou arise out of thy sleep, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Can I tell you today that there's a generation of young men coming up that they, they, they don't have the joy and the even knowledge of how to work today. Can I tell you that socialism is a very attractive thing and with these stimulus checks that are coming in the mail, uh, that's like a drug and society is going to get addicted to that, getting a free check just for being alive. That's an addiction, really. And that's how countries descend into socialism because they want free goodies every week. And the truth is that every young man needs to be taught how to work and taught the joy of work and even being taught the dignity of work. When I was a kid, my dad made me cut grass. And I hated cutting grass because you get up there in that grass and it'd be hot and you'd get sweaty. And you'd. Ha my dad was, was not one of these nice guys that got a riding mower. He got me a push mower. Terrible person. He was a wicked, evil man who hated me and hated God and everybody. Amen. He was a terrible person. But I tell you what, after I sweated and after I listened to that loud lawnmower, this is back in the day, before the days of Bluetooth headsets, amen, with sound-canceling technology, I remember we were there in Grayson, Georgia, and my daddy would make me push mow the front yard, and I hated it and hated it and hated it. But when I was done, I'd look at that yard, and it was all nice and cut, except for a few lines that I missed because I didn't care. <laughs> and I looked at that, and I'd say, I did that. And I had the dignity of knowing that, that I did that. That, that. That's because of me. And the man inside of me was like, yeah. <laughs> I have contributed to society today. <laughs> oh, horrible. You know, when God made Adam and Eve leave the Garden of Eden, you know what God told Adam? He said, in the sweat of thy face, thou shalt work. And really, that was a curse, but also, in a sense, God made a man to work. 
And if a man's not working, a man can't really be happy today because he's not what God has designed him to be. Let me say this, and and, uh, we talked about the problem of the theology of young men, the purpose of these young men, the the, uh, pitfalls of young men. But let me say this real fast, the product of young men. You know, I, I noticed this, that if we have a, have a goal in mind, we, if we have to determine what that is before we can make steps to make that happen. And so I want to give you four things about what a man should be according to the Word of God. And remember, we're supposed to take these children and turn them into men. That's what we're supposed to do. And so four things real fast about the product of young men. Number one, God has created young men and designed them so that they can be leaders. Leaders. I want to tell you that God has created two different genders. He created male and he created females. Now that's something you have to preach today because a lot of folks today in college society are being told something called postmodernism. Postmodernism is the idea that everything in society, all these boundaries and all these distinctions are a what's called social construct. Have y'all ever heard that term before? And they're even teaching now that you you are only a boy because some doctor in some hospital said you were a boy, but really you can determine what you are. That sounds insane, doesn't it? But that's what they're telling people today. And what they're doing is they're taking these boys and teaching them to be girls And they wonder why they're a total emotional wreck when they're 30 years old, if they even live that long. And that's what's happening in society today. And so God has created men to be leaders. God has created men to be leaders. Let me say, first of all, as you turn to 1 Corinthians, I believe that men should be leaders in their families. Men should be leaders in their families. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I noticed this the other day as I was reading through this book and I it kind of jumped out at me and I, I thought this was uh, very interesting and I want to just point this out to you. Verse number 5 says, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And as the brethren, the Lord and Cephas. So if you notice there, Paul says, we have power to lead about a sister and a wife. He's talking to men there. But if you notice that boys are natural leaders, they're natural leaders. And that's okay. They should be leading in their home. But let me say also, as you turn to first Timothy, I want you to notice this. First Timothy chapter three. I think that men should be leaders in the church. These are the qualifications of the New Testament bishop. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Let's go to verse number 4. One that ruleth well his own house. That's the home. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Every now and then when I'm on the road, I'll meet a guy and he'll say, you know, I'm a young man. I want to get in the ministry someday. And I say, well, praise the Lord. You don't, you don't get in the ministry. God counts you faithful putting you into the ministry. That's really how that works. And a lot of guys are treating the ministry like some sort of free agency. You know, here's my, here's my resume, you know, and that's really not how the ministry works. Right. If you're trying to kick doors open, you might kick open something that you don't like. 
make a mess. But I notice a lot of guys that they want to, they want to, there's these ridiculous groups on Facebook, you know, my name's so-and-so and I think it believe be God's will for me to pastor a church. And I, you know, if anybody knows of a church, look for a pastor, send them my name. I, I can't think of anything more ridiculous than that. But these guys are like, I want to, I want to lead a church, lead a ministry, but they can't even lead their own home. They can't even, they want to stand up to the wiles of Satan and take on the culture, but they can't even tell that three-year-old daughter, three-year-old daughter of theirs to shut their mouth yeah. and sit down. Yeah. They're not even mad enough to do that. Yeah. And it's funny to me, preacher, a lot of these same guys love to come and tell a, tell a preacher off about some minute little thing, yeah. and they'll stand up against a preacher, but they can't tell that 16-year-old daughter that lives in their home to stop dressing like a harlot. Mm -hmm. Stop dressing like a Jezebel lady. Put some clothes on before you go out. You can't stand up against her. Amen. I think men ought to lead a church. And I see, a, I got a friend. Y'all pray for me. I got a friend who, he just left a Pentecostal church. He's been watching my videos and he just left a big Pentecostal church. And he told me this. He said, every day, women preachers from the community are calling my phone and chewing me out. And he said, the funny thing is, there ain't, no, there ain't no one man in that church that's called me. <laughs> he said, it's all the women. It's all the women. I thought, wow, that's interesting. What do you, what do you, what do you think of that? He says, well, it tells me a lot about Pentecostalism. Amen. <laughs> I think we have a lot of fun with that. But I think men ought to lead their home. I think men ought to lead churches. But let me say also, I think men ought to be leaders in politics, too. Hey, go to Isaiah chapter 3. This is something interesting. I want to show this to you, Okay. You notice something with that when nations get really bad, there's a there's a dynamic shift in the landscape. And all the men disappear. All the men disappear. Isaiah chapter three, verse number one says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. He says, These are the things I'm taking away from you. And he says, Look at this, verse number two, the mighty man. And the man of war, the judge, and the prophet, and the prudent, and the ancient, the captain of the fifty, the honorable man, the counselor, the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. Notice verse number four. He says, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Do you notice that right there? Go to verse number 12. It says this. It says, as for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. This society was dysfunctional. You want to know why? Because there's no men in that society. No men in that society. And I think we're almost the same way now. Can I tell you, I want to make a bold statement to you because I, I, I do that every now and then. I guarantee you every man holding office in Capitol Hill, Senate, Congressman, all of those people, every single one of them, I guarantee you, every man on that hill knows that abortion is wrong. Yeah. I guarantee they do. They're just not man enough to do anything about it. Amen. You know why? Because there's a bunch of psychotic, demon-possessed harpies sitting 15 feet from them like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yeah, right. who will lose their mind if they even try to force that issue and they're scared of those ladies. Right. Some of y'all are getting nervous. Yeah. Look what verse number 12 says. It says, as for my children, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Can I tell you today, I love women. I'm for women. I, but I'm going to tell you today, a, a nation is a whole lot better when a strong man is leading the nation. 
If you don't believe that, study the difference between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan says, I got a hostage crisis over there in the Middle East. I don't know what to do. Then you got Ronald Reagan come in. He says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. You notice how much better did a nation do back then? So men are to be leaders. Men are to be leaders. And lots of times, preacher, you pray for me, but I, I find that a lot of men today won't lead. Because they won't lead, their wives have to lead their homes. Yeah. Right. And it troubles them and makes it, it sometimes can even make monsters out of them. It's not good. The product of young men is that they should be leaders. Number two, young men should also be taught to be laborers. Laborers. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eleven, it says this. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. And notice this, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Amen. I like that. You know, and the dignity of work. Children ought to be taught to, to, to work and to know how to work. And if they don't know how to work, they're not going to really be dysfunctional and they're not even going to really be what God has made them to be. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, just a few pages over. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, it says in verse number 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Right. I think that would, uh, <laughs> they're talking about, you know, this all this stuff coming up. Uh, a lot of people out there are saying, you know, we can't go back to work. And I, I, it's a terrible situation. I know it's, it's terrible out there. But, you know, there was a day in America where if you didn't work, there wasn't there was no system for you to fall back on. You know what they did? They found ways to work. Right. They did. Heard an old man say one time, he said, the best thing that ever happened to America is everybody get the light shut off and everybody just starved to death for a few days. He said, that fixed a lot of these young boys real quick. I said, amen, you said it, not me, amen. That, uh, look what it says, verse 12. Now them that are such we command and exhort uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Amen, there's something about that. Um, Men today, young men ought to be taught to be laborers. They ought to learn to turn off the TV and go outside a little while and learn how to play and learn how to build something, learn how to dig something. And did you notice, I've also, when I was looking at this, there, there's also a sharp, there's a sharp increase in depression and anxiety amongst teenage boys. It's almost like they're not doing what God's made them to do. Get them outside. Amen. Not only should they be leaders, laborers, but they should also be men that are loving and they're loving. First Corinthians 8. I'm going to give you just a few verses here. Do y'all mind me giving you a little bit of Bible tonight? Is that okay? Brother Bill said amen. That's about it. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 8. I think men ought to learn how to love. Ought to learn how to love. Verse number 3. First Corinthians 8 says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Men ought to learn how to love God. Right. Can I tell you, it's okay to love God. Right. Right. Yep. A, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of men go way too far to the other side where they're too macho and they're just these big, you know, and they, they don't show emotion and they don't love nothing. They just love themselves. Can I tell you, that's just as wicked as some wimpy, effeminate, antifo, right. silly, right. willy little boy. Right. Amen. That's just as wicked. So you ought to love God. You ought to love people. You ought to, love, you ought to learn to love your wife. Amen. Right. And by the way, the greatest gift that a man can give to his children is simply to love his love their mother. Yeah. And learn also to love his family. And lastly, let me give this because some of you aren't listening anymore. They'll be leaders. They'll be laborers. They'll be men that love. They also be. You ought to also teach them to be men of the Lord. 
I've studied the Old Testament many times. I've read it many times. And I've, I've seen things about men in the Old Testament. I've seen that there was a man named Joshua that stood before an entire nation of people. And he says, you know, here's how it is. And you can do what you want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Boldness in God. Boldness in God. And I see also another young man. He was 17 years old. And he went to take some cheeses to his older brothers who were going to go fight a battle against an army of the Philistines at a valley called Elah. And he went there and all these men are standing around watching this big tall giant walk around cuss God, cuss them. And he was shocked to death. He said, why didn't, why didn't anybody fight in this giant? And he made the statement as a 17-year-old kid. He said, is there not a cause? Right. So before a whole bunch of seasoned warriors who who were very skilled with a sword and a bow and standing there saying, is there another cause? What's wrong with you people? And God used a young man to do that. There's another man named Nehemiah who was building a wall. And a bunch of heathen guys named Sanballat and Tobiah came to them and said, come on down from that wall. Nehemiah, let's talk for a little while. And if he'd have been anything like the guys I went to Bible college with, he'd have said, well, let's go sit down and have a dialogue, see where, see if we're, how we've offended this man by being, we might have done something to hurt his feelings and we just want to go talk to him. Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah said, I'm too busy to talk to you bunch of punks. I'm staying up here and I'm doing the will of God. I don't care what you have to say. Amen. Right. You say, well, that's not very Christ-like. Well, talk to Nehemiah about that. Yeah. There's also another time in the Bible where three Hebrew children were told they had to bow at a certain sound and worship a golden image, and they didn't believe that way, and guess what they did? They didn't bow. Yeah. I like that song that says they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, and they didn't burn. <laughs> but all, all that has to happen now is a governor can just say, this, this is what we're going to do, and everybody's like, oh, yes, sir, amen. Right. Shut the church down because, you know, some crazy virus may come and kill everybody. Okay, yes. And by the way, keep it shut down for a year. Okay, sure. By the way, you know, just, just get, shut it down for two years. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. You think I'm joking? Yeah. You should study some Soviet history. That's right. Man. That's what they did. And they said, oh, by the way, let's just shut it down indefinitely until we figure it out how we're going to get this back in order. And by the way, that, that day never came. That's right. And then also there was a man named Daniel. They, they were told, said... Uh, you can't pray anymore for 30 days. And guess what Daniel did? He said, I'm going to go pray. Yeah. Let's end this sermon tonight in Acts 17. Some of you take a sigh of relief now. Amen. Acts 17, I want you to notice this. This is the product of young men. Acts 17 says this. This is the journey of the Apostle Paul. And he says, uh, the Bible says, Now when they had passed through Ampilophus and Apollyona, they came to Thessalonica, where, a, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And notice this verse number two. And Paul, those next four words, as his manner was. <laughs> Paul never missed a good opportunity to pick a fight. <laughs> In Jesus' name. Do you, do you see what I'm saying, church? That there's a difference between the men of the Bible and the men of today. We're taught that confrontation is wrong and there's it should never, ever happen under any circumstances. And I will tell you that that is good to a degree, but there comes a point where that is sin. We even get to the point where we don't want to confront anybody so much that we are actually even willing to let our friends and neighbors die and go to hell because we're willing to avoid a confrontation to bring up their sin. And I've, I've watched this and I thought to myself, I'm so convicted about this. 
Lots of times we just let the world go by because we're too scared to being uncomfortable. And we say we don't want to make them, them uncomfortable. The truth is we don't want to be uncomfortable. And we're willing to let the world steal our own children from us and redefine manhood and redefine womanhood because we're not willing, we're, we don't want to say anything. I want to tell you that there's a crowd that's coming up in the ranks of society right now. It is a hurricane that is on the horizon, and they're going to play the political correctness and the racist and the and the child abuse card on you and on me. And they'll do it as long as they can until somebody finally, no, you're wrong. And this next generation of boys that are coming up, it's not going to get any better. I told you when they said that we're going to get rid of the Redskins because that's racist. By the way, this is racist. If everything's racist, then nothing's racist, okay? Right. So they're going to take the Redskins from us. Miss Jordan is very sad about that. They'll just remove the word Washington from that. That's the most offensive part. And then they're going to come after my Atlanta Braves next. Then they're going to come after the Cleveland Indians. Because that's a racist, and there's a bunch of high and drunk Indians on the other side of the country. They don't even care anything about it. They don't, they don't even know that there is a Cleveland Indians team. But the only people that care are these white liberals. Right. And they're going to take that. Right. And then they're going to go after the Patriots. Because they were slave owners. And that's racist too. And all those people on the West End, they don't care nothing about that. But the white liberals do. And they're going to keep going and keep going and keep going. They're going to take the buccaneers. They're going to take, they're, and then eventually they're going to go after the animals. Because that's wrong. PETA was right about all this. Right. And they're going to destroy society to where nothing's fun anymore. Amen. Have you watched these baseball games where they're dubbing in the sound of a crowd over the game? Yeah, it's, it's the most insane. I feel like I'm in North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> What is going on? I don't, I don't even know if I want to live on this planet anymore. But they're going to keep going and going and going and going. And they're going to take everything. Right. And they're going to take your money. Because somewhere maybe 100 years ago you had something to do with a slave. And so 50% tax on your income for reparations. They're going to do that. You think I'm crazy. I, 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 look, I read this stuff all day long. I, I am very well informed on news. I'm telling you this is coming. Right. These boys are probably going to have to fight this to a degree we don't. And if we don't teach them to be men, sit your silly mouth down, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Hush! If we don't teach them to be something like that, then there ain't no telling what this world's going to look like, right. what this community's going to look like, right. this world's going to look like. Right. Can I tell you today, that's the theology of boys. They ought not be monsters, but they ought to have some conviction. And I'm afraid today in political correctness, we're allowing the culture to define what that is and not allowing the Bible to define that to us. Right.